This is the Let's Grab Coffee podcast, and I'm your host, George Khalife. Yeah, that's what I, I tend to do. Like, we, we kind of have a conversation, and usually without you knowing, I'll kind of hint it. But this way, because it's kind of free-flowing, you know what I mean, versus it being very robotic. You know, to, to your point, it's funny how, like, as soon as you press record or there's a, there's a camera, yeah. you, you immediately like go action. to, like, interview. <laughs> Hi, I this know, is George Khalife uh, from, you know. Yeah. <laughs> It, uh, and you don't want that. And, uh, and you know, I've, uh, this is something I've learned, by the way, from my podcast is, uh, uh, because, I mean, I'm still in trial and error mode, right? I'm still on episode 13. Uh, but, um, initially what I used to do is I, in my preparation, I used to call someone and have mm-hmm. like a one hour sort of intro call and get to know them. And what used to happen is during that call, a lot of the, you know, spontaneous uh, things are said. Actually, the conversation happens in that call. And then I would like pick the time to do, set the time to do the interview. And then, and it's like you lose the spontaneity of it. And so, it's tough uh, to redo it again though, right? Like, and, and have that same conversation twice. Uh, yeah. But what, like, what made you want to start? Uh, the podcast is called Conversations with Lulu, by the way. It's on YouTube. Uh, I think it's on audio platforms it's as on well. All, but, yeah. Yes, right? it's on all audio platforms. That's correct. So what made you want to start it? What was that? Uh... Uh, so, uh, so I've been, uh, I've been an entrepreneur for a good uh, nine years. Before that, I had also a nine year stint in the corporate world. And, you know, living in Dubai, you meet lots of people and I've worked in different industries. So I had a very big network. Uh, at the beginning of this year, uh, we, uh, I exited from uh, my startup, Napish.com. And I thought, you know, let me kind of soft land on something, uh, you know, fun and where I can just uh, reconnect with people that I haven't spoken to in a long time uh, because of, you know, startup life is uh, is pretty hectic. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it started off like that. You know, I, I've done many uh, awesome conversations as an entrepreneur. You often meet lots of interesting people and then you know why don't we take these conversations from the, the private and, and make them public for the benefit of uh, listeners so that was the initial thoughts really gotcha and how long have you been in dubai like was it have you been there for a while or yes so i moved here in 2003 beginning of 2003 so pretty much my entire working uh, life has been here in dubai and, uh, you know, as a Lebanese, um, you don't really have a lot of options in Lebanon and, uh, the, the lucky ones that can mm. leave Lebanon, which is probably something you've done as well. Um, Fortunately, yeah. So, yeah. so the, the people who are lucky and are able to leave, um, leave and then the rest stay and there aren't many opportunities. So I wanted, you know, I wanted to, uh, to find opportunities. Mm. Do you feel like because of that, like you have a bit of more of a uh, kind of like that chip on your shoulder or or added motivation? Because I don't know about you, but as as an expat, I always felt a little bit of guilt, you know, because for me, like we moved to Canada when I was a bit younger. Um, So I was like 10 years old, you know, and uh, I I did live in Lebanon for a bit. I lived in Bahrain. So it's not like I can't say I never lived in Lebanon, but being here, especially what's happening now. I always carry this this added pressure that I have to do more and I have to be better because so many people would kill to be, you know, where you and I are. Um, so I don't know if you feel that way kind of in the daily life, but. Of course I do. And it, sad, and sad, it saddens me that, you know, every time you think, okay, 
I really want to go back to Lebanon. I really want to go back and settle there. I mean, I have two kids now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm close to being 40. And a lot of times you think, okay, I want to retire there or I want to uh, buy a house there or settle there. And then you have like one crisis after the other. And uh, it's so sad because you meet the most amazing Lebanese people, uh, you know, outside of Lebanon, let's say. I mean, and there are obviously some amazing people in Lebanon and you're, you have these, uh, ruling bunch that is, you know, I, awesome. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't even find the words to describe it, but they're so unrepresentative of what sure. my understanding of Lebanese, uh, culture and, and society is. And, uh, it's so, it's so sad, you know, mm-hmm. and I do feel guilty. And I do like when the revolution started in, uh, October uh, of 2019, a lot of us here in Dubai contemplated, we're like, you know, should we take a plane? Should we go there? Should we protest? And and I don't know, sometimes you feel like debilitated. We we donated, we, we did a few things, but uh, yeah, there is guilt and there is also the sense of, I don't know what I can do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of what you have been doing is, is kind of pursuing entrepreneurship, right? Because I think like it's kind of in the backbone or DNA of most left, right? Like, I mean, or maybe mm-hmm. most Middle Easterners. I don't want other, you know, Arabs to listen to this podcast and get upset that we're just being centric in Lebanon. But um, were you always an entrepreneur? Like, was it since a young age? Were your parents entrepreneurs? Like, where did that DNA come from? Um, my parents are normal, traditional uh, uh, people. My mom is a stay-at-home uh, mom. My dad was an accountant in the company. Uh, I have nothing entrepreneurial in my family, actually. So, uh, so, and I didn't even think that I would be an entrepreneur one day. When I came to Dubai, I joined uh, a company and I started working the the corporate ladder. And and I didn't really have like a, a, an amazing job, let's say, or or an amazing career. But then, uh, 2008 happened when we had the global financial crisis, and I lost my job. Um, mm. And then I was made redundant. And, uh, and at that point, I honestly didn't have a lot of options because A, nobody was hiring. Uh, and B, like, okay, I can't just stay at home and do nothing. And this is yeah. when the thought of, you know, why don't I start my own business? Why don't I do something? And I was going in that direction. And then I meet a lady who's just left investment banking. Uh, and she wanted to start pretty much like one of the first uh, venture capital funds, uh, in the, in the MENA region. And she wanted to do like a, like an incubator of sorts and a startup advisory. So I joined her and, uh, and the two of us uh, worked on it. It was called active M and, uh, it was basically my first experience with a startup. Um, and then two years after that, I decided, you know, it was time for me to launch uh, my own business and become an entrepreneur. Yeah, it's kind of funny too how every recession, like you know this this stat, right? Like in every recession, some of the best startups come out. Like Airbnb, for instance, is is a very glamorous story. Uh, maybe not as much now, but um, and it's funny like when your back's against the wall and you don't have. Well, a lot they're of going options. to IPO, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're trying to figure out different financing options, but that's been kind of like yeah. a roller coaster ride. But it's it's funny how in every recession, you know, you're you're back against the wall and you kind of go on the offense versus defense. So that's kind of an interesting thing that you wanted to do. And this is advice that I give to everybody uh, who is young and who's like graduating from university and who's stuck mm. and who can't find a job. And I say, you know, it's the best time 
it's like with with social media you know and uh, and uh, and the the access basically that you can get through your social media channels if you don't get a job it's the best time to be a, a freelancer or an entrepreneur and don't get like single track minded that okay i have to find a job i have to find a job and usually what they do is they go and they start applying 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 and obviously they don't have a solid network so nobody replies to them and they become depressed and they you know nobody wants to hire me and all of that and but there's so many ways uh, that you can you know transform your unemployment status and 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 create something for yourself uh, irrespective of which you know industry you're in uh, so yeah don't, don't get stuck yeah i mean don't don't get stuck uh don't feel stuck i mean there's there's plenty of options and this is how i did it right i mean i you know maybe maybe losing that job was one of the best things that's ever happened to me mm-hmm. and uh it kind of forced me to to say okay what am i going to do with myself now i'm 30 years old and uh, i don't have a job so and that's why uh you know entrepreneurship uh, happened Clearly, not everyone's yeah. meant to be an entrepreneur. By the way, that's a, there's a caveat yeah. there. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but it's funny too. Like when I hear you say it, it's so kind of comforting. You know, like you you're just kind of talking about it, and you're like, "Listen, I was thirty some you know years old. I had to look at myself in the mirror and really make a decision." But in that moment, so many people are caught in the same situation, and yet, to your point, they either keep applying online, get depressed, go down that rabbit hole, or are kind of like aimless. Right? They don't know what to do. They they kind of panic. So what what are you telling yourself? Like if you were to actually go back, right? When you were a bit hesitant, vulnerable, like what are you actually telling yourself to say, listen, we're going to get out of this. Here's what we're going to do. Did you put like an action plan together? What was that system for you? I think not to, not to overthink things too much and not to overcomplicate things and just do it. I mean, with the podcast, mm-hmm. you know, with the podcast, I've been thinking about uh, starting the podcast for let's say a good six months now. And I had all these obstacles in my mind, you know, I don't have a budget to hire a team and like who's going to edit my videos and the sound and, and and it's all insecurities really because, you know, um, I have my ego and I don't want to put something out there that's not like super amazing and then what are people going to say about me? And then like uh, one day I, I looked at myself, I'm like, Lulu, that's not you. You're, you're an entrepreneur. You know, the whole notion of entrepreneurship is trial and error. You put something out there, you see what happens. You know, if people like it, you start investing in it. And, and just right. like that, one day I was like, okay, I'm starting. Uh, and I put out the first interview out there. It was an hour 40. Uh, I didn't edit. I didn't do anything. I just like recorded it, put it out there. Obviously everybody came back later. Oh, it's too long, you know. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, just, just do it. I think I don't overthink it. And we all have so many insecurities and you just need to be uh, aware of these insecurities um, and just face them head on. And what's the worst thing? You know, someone's going to say I'm stupid or, or I'm going to fail or so what? A few months later, everyone's going to forget. You know, the, the one thing that that's funny and that I've learned from attending a lot of Lebanese weddings in the past is that no matter how great or flashy you're going to put, put a performance, people are still going to say you're stupid and failure and whatever. <laughs> so either way. People are still going to say your uh, your menu wasn't good enough. That's right. So <laughs> might as well do something. <laughs> it, it's it's yeah, not going to make a difference. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's interesting. <laughs> I mean, so so right after that, that, uh, that kind of stint in, in venture capital, and how was that for you? I mean, you know, 
was, was that kind of your first intro to entrepreneurship you know but from the investment yeah. side okay it was and uh, and you know we we did everything uh, together uh, salam her name was she's uh, you know she was a phenomenal mentor she's super strong lady very smart i learned like so much from her um so it was definitely it definitely gave me the uh, comfort let's say to sort of make that jump from where i was into starting my own uh, my own thing gotcha and and what was it like i mean were you I'm, i'm basically trying to get to the point of like how do you ideate right because often that that's the problem you know and i guarantee you me included everybody listening to this at one point went to google and said what are the top 50 startups that i can you know work on um really? but but but, but, it, but it, it, it's tough to like figure out sometimes what niche to, to target right based on your strength where your resources are mm. so when did that idea of nebish start coming to you Look, I, I, I mean, everybody, all of us have like millions of ideas. Uh, I mean, you're always somewhere in some sort of situation and you think, oh, you know, someone should do this or someone should do that. So I'm the type of person that writes it down and leaves it. I don't necessarily overthink it. And it kind of like grows in the back of my head. Uh, and then sometimes, uh, you know, it, uh, it, It, it sticks and I keep thinking about it. And then I start doing a bit of research just to see who's doing what. Uh, and, uh, and this is when you sort of look a little bit at what kind of market uh, is there, who would buy this v- very like rudimentary stuff. This is not, uh, I'm not doing like a business plan or something. And then if you feel, uh, super passionate about it, then I usually go and talk to a few people about it that are in the space and understand and see how they feel. And if all the signals are encouraging, then you say, okay, let's, let's build an MVP or let's give it a try. Uh, so I did this, uh, with Nabish, you know, the initial idea of Nabish was, um, so Nabish is a freelance marketplace. It's similar to Upwork basically in the US. Mm-hmm. And, um, the idea started when, you know, I wanted to, uh, start my own business. I didn't really know what I wanted to start. And then, um, I wanted to get some consulting work while I was, Uh, trying to figure out, uh, you know, what startup idea is going to come my way. And this is where the idea came. And it was like, hang on a second. Everybody in our part of the world focuses on full-time jobs. There's nobody catering for the consultant role, for the freelancer role. And this is how, you know, the Nabish idea started. Initially, by the way, the early, early, early nugget of, of the idea was, uh, you know, I walked out one day from my apartment. Uh, and we we built in a we live in a compound in Dubai you have you have a lot of these gated communities uh and I looked around and like I don't even know what my neighbors do like I want to start this business maybe there's a web designer there or you know a, a copywriter or a photographer I have no clue who my neighbors are so the initial initial idea of Nambush was like how do I connect uh me and my neighbors and like find out in, in my vicinity who is doing what and then that sort of like became you know, how we started the conversation. I told you sometimes you have an idea and then it takes a, it takes a shape on its own and it, it, it becomes uh, something else. So it eventually became, uh, uh, you know, an upward, basically uh, similar business. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a fantastic market. I mean, even if you look at what's happening now with COVID, right. I think there was a stat, I can, I can't remember the, the year, uh, but it was like, I think 2025 or 20 by 2030, basically like, the majority of the market, call it 60, 70% is going to be made up of freelancers, right? Or at least SMBs 
like we're, we're kind of shifting away from large corporate to, you know, small mom and shop, uh, stores or, or freelancers basically, uh, to what you're pointing out. So definitely an interesting market to be in for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And in the U.S., uh, I think the last stat I had was that by 2020, it was a, a stat by the freelancers union, uh, something like 45% of the, of the working population in the U.S. Uh, would be uh, independent contractors, basically, mm. uh, which, is, uh, which is big. And it, it could be higher, actually, the number. In, in our part of the world, I think we have a lot of uh, freelancers, but I think it's highly... Um, undocumented or what's what's the word it's like this peripheral market you know it's mm-hmm. not really uh I can't talked about term. is it is that no no it is talked about and it's it's like an it's like an informal market uh, i got it okay that's got uh, it, that's, yeah. that's 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 the term so uh so you don't know how big this uh, this market is right it's it's uh, highly unregulated are, are most people in Dubai, like when, when they're being freelancers, are they full-time freelancers or are they doing this like as a side hustle? Do, do you find? Yeah. So just important to, to differentiate, by the way, when you think about the Middle East and uh, obviously you have, if you look at the MENA region, Middle East and North Africa, you have 22 countries and, and you have the GCC, that's uh, the Gulf where mm-hmm. obviously the United Arab Emirates is. Uh, it's completely different as a market from, let's say, the Levant area, which is Lebanon, Jordan, Syria, Iraq. So, uh, so depending on each market, the, the, the circumstances are, uh, are different. So in Dubai, for example, for you to be in the, to be working in Dubai, you have to have, uh, a sponsor. And it's, it's, it's a company that usually would sponsor you to come into the country and they issue a residency visa, uh, uh under their name. And if you want to be a freelancer, usually most of the time you do it as like a secondary uh, job. Yeah, okay. right, right. But recently, uh, in the past couple of years, they started introducing uh, different types of licenses that you can get as a as a as a sole proprietorship, basically, and you can get a, you know, a certain type of license, and you can be your own company. It's not. Right. It's uh, it's quite uh, it's quite expensive though. It's not it's not cheap. Yeah. Well, it's also different. You're talking like uh, $2,000 probably for the license and then you have to uh, do your own visa and stuff like that. So it's uh, it's not cheap. Yeah. I mean, that's why I was asking because because of the visa situation, I find it like that, that there's even more added risk, right? Because you're not really a citizen unless you're a local and um, you also don't have the added benefits and, you know, all the other all insurance that may maybe come with it. Like that's all on you now mm-hmm. too, right? If you're a full a freelancer. Exactly. And you yeah. don't get the, the benefits, for example, like if you're a group and you're a, you're a big business and you have a hundred people, let's say you get a better rates on insured on healthcare and you get better rates on services. But if you're an individual, it's again, it becomes very expensive. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's not easy to be a full-time freelancer in, uh, in the UAE. It's definitely easier to do that in Egypt and Lebanon, in Georgia. Yeah. It's more common, I, I think, to see like more formally. I would say to, to your point. Um, who who was the first freelancer on Netbitch? Do you remember? Oh, I'm taking you wow. back. Wow, <laughs> uh, probably me. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. First user. <laughs> yeah, I'm the, probably me. I mean, it's either me or uh, or the the developer that was building the the platform at the time. The I, I don't remember. 
yeah, it's been nine years, so I really don't remember. But that must have felt good, right? Like once you see a bit of traction, when did you start feeling Maybe. that this that this thing is actually a real startup, a real business, like that tipping point? So I started working on uh, on the idea in towards the end of 2011, launched like a very early alpha version in uh, in 2000, beginning 2012. And then uh, I went on a TV show called The Entrepreneur. It's like, it's similar to Shark Tank. Dragon's Den. Okay. Yeah. And then I won this nice. TV show. Uh, so we filmed it. It was, you know, and I won and I won like a lot. I won $270,000. Nice. Uh, basically in prize money. And then, uh, it aired. Down. Yeah, it aired in, uh, in November of 2012. So, okay. so when the show aired, I started seeing a lot of traction because, uh, I got a lot of PR as well out of it and all of that. So this is when it started feeling that, you know, okay, this is, this is a business. Mm. But before that, it's a, you know, it's a project that you're working on. Yeah. And I'm curious from your perspective. So when you get that 275, obviously, you know, you're starting to think of like use of proceeds. Where is it going to go? Um, mm. Was that the first time you were in that position where you, you kind of raised that money as a seed round or, or won it, you know, whatever the case was and had to deploy it and, and figured it out? How was that educational process for you as a founder and CEO? Yeah, it was um, definitely, uh, definitely something new to me. I mean, I had, uh funded the business from from my own savings up to that point right uh and it actually it was very timely because i was at a point where i was running out of money and i had to start looking for options and uh, having that money gave me enough you know uh, runway to be able to prepare to uh sidra uh look it's definitely uh Use of money, you know, at, at that point as well in the, in the, in the life cycle of the startup, you're still at the point where you're trying and testing and, and making a lot of mistakes. So it actually helped a lot, uh, in those early days. Mm. Yeah. And, and I guess for, for a lot of the, you know, aspire, either women entrepreneurs or aspiring women founders, um, how was that process for you, especially being in Dubai? You know, I think culturally it's a, it's a, it's a lot different. I obviously, I, I know it well, but for a lot of listeners, they might not know. Um, and there are certainly challenges in North America that, you know, we're kind of pushing uh, past and curious f- from your perspective, having gone through it now, you know, one, raising money, building the startup, getting it acquired. Uh, what advice would you, would you give to aspiring women founders having gone through that already? The main advice I would say is not to uh, take yourself lightly and not to think about your business as uh, something that I'm having fun with or I'm doing to pass the time. And I think, you know, you know how you say whatever you think you become, right? So if right. you, if you, uh, if you belittle your work from day one, uh, you know, who's going to take you seriously if you don't take yourself seriously? So I think that's very important. And usually I have, Like if I hear a man saying that about like their wife's business, it really irritates me because, you know, Mm. this is not something she's doing for fun. She's building a business. It may succeed. It might fail. That's something completely different, but it's not a fun project. So I think the the mindset and the mentality and what you tell yourself is extremely important. Now, with regards to bias, I've, I've been asked many times. Initially, I used to say, no, I haven't encountered any bias, but then I attended the course recently at, uh, uh, at Harvard and uh, basically they tell you how 
you know, there's a lot of uh, bias against women, but you're not necessarily aware of it and aware that it's happening. And they gave a lot of case studies, you know, when it comes to negotiation, how the starting point of a man and a woman is like completely different. Mm. So, so honestly, I, I, I don't know if, uh, I don't recall like specific incidents where I felt that, uh, you know, I was subject to bias, but I do feel that there is a lot of bias when it comes to dealing with men and women uh, in this part of the world. Yeah. No, and sure. everywhere, actually. Yeah. I mean, I, I was just saying, even in North America, right? It, it might not be culturally to the same extent, right? I mean, just kind of the, the structure and the setup is a bit different, but, but the realities are, are still the same, right? I mean... And it's, by the way, it's interesting in the US because like halfway through uh, my entrepreneurial journey, there was the whole news that came out in the US about all these investors basically, you know, leveraging yeah. their positions to get, you know, favors and uh, and all sorts of things. So it it was a really it was an eye opener for me also, by the way. I was thinking, damn, like like and then you start thinking about like experiences that you've had, you know, was that was that uh, okay? Was that not was that not okay or uh so, you know, like when, what's the line between like harassment and like having a discussion and, and all these things. Yeah. So that, that whole movement actually brought a lot of questions, uh, as to what accept, what's acceptable and what's not. Yeah. And maybe because at the time you were so focused on, on the, the startup itself, right. And kind of growing it, maybe those signs were there, but you weren't necessarily as like, um, kind of receptive to it, you know, but maybe as you look back, it, it might've been different. Um, I think it's also kind of a personality trait, right? Would you say like um, that that inner confidence that you have, where does that stem from? I mean, obviously it's a daily thing, but do you do you kind of how do you build your confidence? Was it through experiences or definitely? And you know, I I I wasn't confident actually uh, throughout my life. I was always very ambitious, but not necessarily very confident. Uh, and then I, I ran into a series of, uh, of events, uh, towards uh, late 2000s and, uh, which actually got me to seek some help, like, because I felt that, you know, I was, I wasn't necessarily like very depressed, but I was, I think, mildly depressed and I had lots of questions and, uh, and I decided like to seek some help at that point. And I, I went through therapy for a couple of years and it kind of gets you to realize that, you know, it, it teaches you things about like setting boundaries, uh, you know, about, uh, about what's acceptable and what's not acceptable and, uh, and what kind of people to surround yourself with and uh, why you behave in specific, uh, ways, uh, when you're in a certain situation. I think that made me a lot stronger. So I think I came out of that, uh, much stronger as a person. And I was 30 at the time. So I think also the, the age helped, uh, mm. and, um, yeah, there's no, uh, it's not, it wasn't the case like for, a, you know, I wasn't like a super confident person uh, at an early age. And I read a lot of books, by the way, and I worked a lot on myself. So during that period when I was going through uh, therapy, I also read like a ton of Self-development books. books and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they help, right? If you, if you want to make a change uh, and, and you read them with the purpose of learning to make exactly. a change, then I think they really help. Like, like you have to be open. You know, I think one of the things, and this is a whole different podcast I think we can do together, but around mental health. And I've been talking a lot recently with, with, with uh, yeah. friends here 
my fiance is a psychologist yeah. or is, is working towards her clinical psych. Uh, but it's funny, man, like mm-hmm. in the Middle East, you know, you say, uh, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing therapy. The first thing is like, man, are you okay? Like, what, are, you are you crazy? Saying, are you crazy? You know, yeah. I don't know if we should. Are you, you crazy know. in a bad way, not in a good way. <laughs> but that's what I mean. You know, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just it has such a negative connotation, and it's funny because you don't say that about anything else in life, right? Like, if if Lulu says I'm going to go for a run or to the gym, you're like, oh, that's amazing. Like, you know, you know, yeah. good job. And when you say I'm, I'm going to work, go work on my mental health, and yeah, people think you're like a psycho or something, you know. Yeah, still, it's still until today, by the way, it hasn't, this hasn't changed. And I think maybe because I was in Dubai and I wasn't living with my family and, you know, I was outside of the Lebanon environment. Uh, maybe I felt that, yeah, why not? You know, it's okay for me to go and, uh, and see someone. Uh, but maybe if I were in Lebanon, I don't know if I would have done it, you know, because the, the culture there, I don't think is very tolerant when it comes to that. Yeah, it's, it's Again, I'm assuming, awesome. I mean, I haven't been in Lebanon for a long time, but, uh, but I would assume it's, 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 it's a, a good general decision. assumption. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, even here, uh, anyways, it, it's a big, pro- it's a big kind of thing, but, um, it, no, it, it's awesome to hear. And so using that confidence, you went through that acquisition, right? Um, with, with Navish, what was that process like? Cause that's it. Again, that's something that a lot of aspiring founders are are either curious about wondering for a startup, that's always like the the glory, you know, it's like the, either you exit or you IPO, but I, I, that's what I was going to thank you for nodding because that's what most inspiring <laughs> founders believe. But for, for true entrepreneurs, it's actually not the case. Look, and it's so, an outcome. Uh, it's an yeah. outcome. Uh, it, it doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily glorious. Uh, sometimes it's a, it's an outcome that doesn't need to be great. You know, it could be, it could be good. It could be a bad outcome, but it's an outcome. Uh, you know, without delving into too much detail, it's, uh, it's, it was a, it was a pretty tough, uh, journey for me with, with Nabish. Um, it's a, it's a very challenging market. The, the freelance market in general in this part of the world has a lot of challenges. It's still quite nascent. And as I told you earlier, it's quite informal as well. Uh, so which, you know, in a, in a, from a business standpoint, it means it's a great opportunity, right? The market's fragmented. Let's create a marketplace, bring all these players together. Uh, it wasn't the case. It was obviously very challenging. So I'm happy that, uh, you know, uh, another business, a similar business in, in Dubai, uh, acquired it and they have uh, much more resources than, uh, than I had. And they will, you know, continue on the fight, uh, of, uh, building, uh, a super large and super successful freelance marketplace in the region. Mm-hmm. I don't think really, if you ask me, I don't think anyone has like really cracked it in, in this part of the world. And even I would tell you, even in the US, even if you look at the largest player, which is Upwork, uh, and if you look at, for example, like Uber or, or Airbnb, Upwork is still like a very small company in comparison to, you know, to other companies in the gig economy. Yeah. Uh, and, and you gotta ask yourself why, you know, it's, it's a very challenging business, I think, to be in. Mm. Yeah. I, I love how you were saying it's an outcome, right? Like I asked Michael Hyatt this and he sold uh, Blue Cat for like 400 million. He was a, you know, dragon yeah, on dragon. That's amazing. Stand. Yeah. <laughs> and it, you know, and it's funny, like I was, I was waiting for that. You know, I was like, give me that, what we all want to hear, you know, like I bought a yacht as an, I'm just joking, but this is kind yeah. of what you, what you think you want to hear. And he's like, to be honest, George, I wasn't, necessarily like ecstatic right keep in mind like when you build something this is kind of your baby too it's a bit emotional to let go of something that that you really 
help uh, bring to life. And so, yeah. But I mean, think, I mean, think about you. I mean, look, look back at your life. I don't know. Think about the day when you passed, uh, you graduated from university or I don't know what other milestones when you got engaged maybe. And yeah, okay. It was a great day. And then that's it. Life goes on. Right. So. Yeah. Uh, and again, you know, not to discount all the amazing exits that happen and, uh, the, you know, the, the, the billion of dollar exits. And of course, these are like amazing milestones, but probably to the person, uh, it's still another milestone. And then the next day, you know, he or she are probably, okay, you know, what now? Uh, so, nice. so it is an outcome. It doesn't have to be great. Uh, but yeah. Gotcha. It's, and then it's an exit. It's an exit. I know uh, that's, that's certainly the case. Um, so now you exited this and we're kind of coming full circle to your story. So you started, uh, Kickstarter Ventures, right? And I know you're, you're a mentor at, at Wamda. Um, curious. So what made you want to go back to that investment side? And then on that note, what are you looking at now in Dubai? What's, what, what are some interesting sectors that you're seeing? Some interesting companies, uh, especially for people who aren't in that region. So, um, why, why I'm doing Kickstart Ventures is because I love the startup space. You know, I've spent nine years building a startup. Uh, I, I can, you know, uh, I would like to say that, you know, I'm a good judge of character and I'm a good judge of, uh, business. Uh, having been through it and having, you know, gone through this entire journey of ups and downs. So I love, I love, Talking to entrepreneurs, I love the energy that they have. And also it's a, you know, being an investor is also a great way to learn about a business. Uh, okay, I'm not there doing the day to day, but I can, you know, I'm also looking at their metrics, looking at their challenges. So, so it's still a way, a great way to learn. In terms of what we've invested, we, uh, we're not only looking, I mean, we're a small group, we're a small network, uh, uh, of people and, uh, we look at, uh, startups around the world in fact we've invested in, in three companies in the u.s and one in the uk nice. uh and and uh and some in the in the region uh i i just look for like uh great let's say innovations like we try not to invest in sort of me too type uh concepts mm. um and again it goes back to to, to the learning and uh, you know wanting to be exposed to like a new industry uh, I look for, you know, amazing founders, uh, people that know how to sell their vision really well, people that have demonstrated one way or the other that, uh, they can put together a team of advisors and, you know, form a small core team. So we're usually early stage, uh, because our ticket size is not, it's not very big, but, uh, but th- there's, there's usually some sort of, uh, uh, you know, track record being demonstrated in terms of, you know, finding the right people, putting a team together, building an MVP and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's exciting in the region, I'm seeing a lot of, uh, funnily, actually, I'm seeing a lot of, uh, agri-tech stuff. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So, so, uh, so I've interviewed on my podcast, uh, a guy called Sky Kurtz. He's American and he's building a massive, uh, greenhouse, uh, in Abu Dhabi. And he's uh, bringing in a lot of technology, obviously, to be able to grow crops. I'm seeing a lot of vertical farming uh, models. Um, 
actually, I was just sent a deck today about uh, also some agri-tech business. I haven't really opened it. Sustainability, food security, I think these are uh, quite big. Uh, fintech is very big in the region. Uh, With the um, DFC and yeah. Yeah, but but the question is, I think what what gets funded is sometimes uh, like where the big money is funneled. Uh, so far, is not necessarily in like fintech and agritech and and so on. So a lot of money is funneled to e-commerce, software uh, like SaaS businesses, right? Is it still? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, and and also uh, um, things in the in the you know like the in the transport, let's say uh, sector. Mm. Like logistics. Uh, so there's quite a few companies. Yeah, logistics and also uh, no even uh, marketplaces like trying to uh, like an Uber for trucks uh, or an Uber for buses and things like yeah. that. Yeah, we we see a lot of that actually in Chicago on the freight side. Uh, so a lot of freight tech uh, companies because here you have obviously NAFTA and like the the cross border between Mexico, Canada, US. Um, so so there's a lot of that uh, kind of in that Midwest because it's you know it's also traditionally what it used to be right like Pittsburgh used to be a steel town and. So you actually see a lot of that, but I didn't expect you to say Actec. So that, that's actually interesting to hear. Yeah, Actec is uh, is big now, especially post COVID. Yeah, makes sense. Especially makes in sense. the Gulf as well. Makes sense. Well, that's awesome. Thanks mm-hmm. for sharing that. And then last one for you. This is more personal. Uh, two kind of rapid, rapid ones. But uh, I heard you say on a, I, I was listening to one of your your videos. I think this was in 2012. But you were talking about how running is super important. I see the Apple Watch. I like to run as well. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like, is that, is that a big part of your, your life as well? Like the health I love aspect? running. Nice. Yeah, I love running. I love running as a way, you know, some people meditate, uh, some people do yoga. I, I do running. Uh, recently I started like listening to podcasts while I'm running. So actually now I my, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So now I feel my running time is very productive. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, two, two, two birds, one stone, right? Yeah, yeah, and uh, I love to run. I think uh, it makes me feel free. It makes me feel. Uh, I think uh, you know Nike have done a pretty good job in making running like uh, portraying it as something super, uh, you know, glamorous cool and, uh, yeah. and 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 freedom, you know, and you can do it and all of that stuff. I enjoy it. I feel good when I run. Do you use the Nike Run Club app? Is that what you're alluding to? I do. I yeah, do. Yeah. I use. Now we gotta Nike get a challenge going. App. We will, uh, yeah, oh, I'll add you. I I'll use it all you. the time. Are you? <laughs> really? Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, and I've started uh, recently as well with the, speaking of the Apple Watch. So I'm kind of, uh, I've decided also to put a challenge for myself to close all my circles. Nice. Uh, so, nice. so yeah, it's been an interesting, uh, it's been an interesting month so far. Because running. And then kind of aside from running, I see a bookshelf. So, uh, yeah. Y- one of the best books maybe that, that you would recommend? Uh, that I've read recently? Yeah, it could be recently or, or in the past. Uh, there's, uh, damn it, there's quite a few. Uh, oh, here's one, Originals, Adam Grant. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, you know, I like books about uh, about psychology and, uh, and stuff like that. So I have one called uh, Sex on the Brain, which which was pretty good. Interesting. I've never uh, read that. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of books actually. Uh, it depends on like what state of mind uh, I am. The, the last one that I've read mm. uh, that I've enjoyed was uh, the one about uh, what was it called? Uh, the art of not giving a fuck. Was it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. By yeah, Mark Manson. Yeah. 
Yeah, I thought I thought that was uh, funny and like in your face. Yeah. I tried to go through uh, Sapiens, but it's just it's just it's a heavy read. Yeah. Oh my you, god! You need to be uh, on like a, a beach in Mexico to do that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, I'm like yeah, three quarters of the way, but it's uh, it's this is something that's been sitting uh, on my bedside for a long time. Uh, yeah, it's not it's not a swift read, but it's interesting. Um, if you like psychology, there's a good one. It's the the, the man who mistook his wife for a hat. I don't know if you've ever read that, but no, it, it's actually a true case. Okay. Like the, the title is a, is a true <laughs> case study. So really, okay. really interesting. It like it delves into the brain and stuff. If you really like that aspect. Yes, I do. I do. I, recommend that. I thought I, I read a lot of books around the like 2010 uh, on, on that aspect. Uh, subject. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, amazing. Well, thanks for doing this. This was, uh, this was good. Honestly, I, I appreciate you sharing the story and, uh, for everybody, by the way, who obviously enjoyed the conversation, where can they reach out first? Is it Instagram, LinkedIn? What's what's the point of contact? Well, I'm mostly active on LinkedIn, so they can reach me on Lulu Hazan, uh, L O U L O U, the French way, not the not the English way. Yeah, the English way. Uh, yeah, so I'm uh, I'm quite active there, and uh, I'm I'm reachable on Instagram as well at Lulu Hazan. And they can check out the podcast at conversationswithlulu.com. If you found this podcast useful, make sure to share it out with your community. And if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the podcast. I'll see you next time.